Friends, would you pray with me? Easter God, as you lifted the eyes of the disciples to the rising Jesus at his ascension, so lift our eyes as we hear your word today that we too might turn our eyes toward the need of the world and follow Jesus there. Amen. As Becky has already shared, our New Testament lesson today is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14. Hear this word of Scripture. So when they, the disciples, had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right across the street from Augustana University, my beloved alma mater, is Our Savior's Lutheran Church. Since we were a liberal arts school affiliated with the mainline Lutheran Church, Our Savior's was the place where our music department put on our annual Christmas Vespers services and other concerts. And painted on the soaring chancel wall of this late 1950s era sanctuary, right behind the altar and its cross is an enormous mural that captivated me every time I saw it. The mural was the creation of a longtime art professor at the school. I'd never seen anything quite like it, nor have I since, and I could stare at it endlessly. The contemporary artistic image of the crucified and risen Jesus ascending into heaven 
stretches vertically from floor to ceiling on a white brick wall. This elongated Jesus must be at least 20 feet tall as he rises. Whimsical angels flank Jesus on both sides, one on his right and one on his left. And looking on and up as he ascends are 13 observers, the 11 remaining disciples, Jesus' mother Mary, and although she's not specifically mentioned in our text, Mary Magdalene. And beneath it, anchoring the scene in a foundation of block letters is the text from Acts 1:11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I still love this image. I haven't tired of it, and periodically I will look it up online just to take a peek, because to me it's unforgettable. And it also makes me wonder, of all of the scenes in Jesus' life that they could have picked from, both pre- and post-resurrection, why did that congregation choose Christ's ascension to grace the lofty front of its sanctuary? It's an interesting choice, don't you think? Why not the infant Jesus in a manger? Why not 12-year-old Jesus teaching in the temple? Why not Jesus being baptized by John? or Jesus healing one of the ten lepers? Why not Jesus praying in the garden? And if not those, why not Jesus surprising Mary by the empty tomb? It would make sense to put that empty tomb alongside the empty cross. After all, our Christian faith hinges on the meaning of resurrection and new life. It's our core identity. So there must be something about this scene that's important. For one thing, we know today as well as any day, just as the disciples quickly learned, is that the resurrection of Jesus didn't usher in a fairy tale ending. Not right away, not for us, not for the disciples, for whom it's been now 40 days since they saw Jesus come out of his tomb of isolation. It's been 40 days since he made his risen self known to them, and they've all been holed up together all this time, laying low and waiting, just as Jesus instructed them for God's promise of baptism by the Holy Spirit. It's been 40 days that Jesus has been teaching them all about his coming kingdom. They have had all this time to prepare for what's next. And now they're getting impatient. Inquiring minds want to know, is this the time? Is this the time it all gets better? 
Their anticipation of this world-shattering, Rome-destroying development grows day by day, and the disciples want to know. The kingdom should be here by now. Is this the time? Are we there yet? I think that question is hardwired, not just into children on a long road trip, but into all of humanity, even the most mature among us. Are we there yet? Is this the day when God wins and the world knows it? Maybe that's why I love the post-Easter texts like this one, because they ask the questions that still burn in our hearts, the questions we ask as we hurry up and wait. At our Thursday Voices virtual gathering, one participant summed this up really well. Is this the time, she said, is the question that so many of us are asking of our government leaders, pastors, anyone in charge of anything wanting to go back to whatever we thought was normal. Because we're anxious. We're no less anxious today than we were last week or the week before or the week before that. We're anxious about our world, about when it'll be safe to go out again or to hug the grandkids again, to head to the store and not fear for our health. We're uneasy, wondering when we can come back together again and sing together again. We wonder, what's next for our ministries? What will they look like in the future? And although some may try to keep it from me, I also know that there is sadness. You face yet another pastoral transition as I leave for my new call in Grand Rapids. And even though your new interim minister, Conley Zomermond, will be here on June 1st, he's actually already moved into his apartment here and he's actually showed up here at Third Church a time or two. It takes time to get to know a new pastor and to trust them as you graciously and lovingly did for me. It takes time. In the meantime, there's no denying, no minimizing the reality that this is a lot of disruption at once. Transition coming from seemingly every direction with more time to pass, more waiting to move through before the new takes shape and comes into view. As I reflect on the disruption that we're in the midst of and the disruption that I read about in church communities around the world, it strikes me that with so much of it, it may well be that this time in the life of the church might be closer to that of the earliest church than we have ever come to closer to experiencing before. A time of immense uncertainty that calls for new and previously unimagined responses. Our context 
is changing right before our very eyes at a speed we've not seen before. And so we too have to wait to see what's next and what that means for us and for the world around us. Which is exactly where the disciples found themselves, waiting to see what's next and how soon it'll be there, even though Jesus is sitting right there with them. And Jesus gives them the answer that is quite possibly the most maddening answer he could have given. It's not for you to know. Maddening indeed, because we want to know, we want to be in control. As Becky alluded to, having to wait takes away our tightly held illusion of control. Jesus tells him, it's not for you to know the time or the season that God will bring this about. But he doesn't stop there because Jesus never leaves his disciples without a way forward. He never leaves them without a promise to hold on to. And this is the promise. You will receive power. Not may, but will receive power. When, not if, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's a power one writer described as a power that makes enemies friends and propels you beyond myopic vision. The Holy Spirit will give you the power to be Christ's church. And this power has an enormous geographical reach. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now this would be a nice place to end the story. Jesus is still here. The disciples have this promise. They can wait for the Holy Spirit together. But according to Acts, the disciples are in for yet another transition. For what happens next is the very scene that the congregation of our saviors chose to grace the chancel of their sanctuary. As they watch, Jesus is lifted up. A cloud takes him out of their sight. Two men in white robes stand by them and say the words printed on that white brick wall, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? The disciples are left to wait again. They're left to wait for the promised Holy Spirit to come and give them power to be Christ's witnesses and to wait for Christ to one day come back to restore all things. In other words, they're left to wait for God to act. It's that whole control thing again. We too. We wait for God to act upon us. And although we try to take it into our own hands and program it into a shortcut menu, 
It's God who will pour out the Holy Spirit and give us the power to witness in Rochester and Monroe County and the rest of New York and to the ends of the earth, which could be any place in this country or in this world from which any of you are joining us today. We have received power. We are receiving power. We will receive power from the Holy Spirit. And although waiting is difficult, if we really think about what it means to wait for God to act, we might actually be able to breathe a huge sigh of relief. For what God will do ultimately doesn't depend on our own power. What God does is invite us into the kingdom work that God is already doing. Now that may still leave us waiting, but Jesus' disciples have given us the model for our waiting, although we will admittedly need to apply a little creative license given our public health crisis. And that model is one of huddling together, although not yet in person, and praying together and praying some more and remembering God's past faithfulness as evidence of God's faithfulness yet to come. And we will do that virtually as long as necessary to care for you and our community. It's our playbook for the days ahead. Connect and pray and wait with attentiveness to where God shows up. Wait and notice what God is doing even now, even in the anxiety-ridden state of in-betweenness in which we find ourselves. Wait and claim the promise of the Holy Spirit's presence and power. For even though Jesus has ascended, God has not left God's people alone. God is with you. God is with us in the present moment and into the new future that will be whatever that looks like. In the New Testament, the book of Acts picks up where the book of Luke leaves off. Luke and Acts are like a two-volume set. Luke, volume one, tells the story of Jesus' life and ministry on earth and ends with Jesus' ascension into heaven. Acts, volume two, tells the story of the embryonic church that will continue his ministry once he has left earth. And the birthing story of the church begins with Jesus' charge to them just before he ascends. In other words, the ascension story connects the life of Jesus with the mission of the church. And although I don't know for sure, I have a strong hunch that's why our Savior's Lutheran Church has this enormous mural of the ascension in front of the sanctuary to because to be the church is all about carrying out Christ's ministry in the meantime, in the in-between time. The essence of church 
no matter where we are, is all about actively waiting between the promise of God's spirit now and the promise of God's kingdom to come. So wait together for the Holy Spirit. Wait together and pray together. Wait together for God to act and wait with hope for Pentecost is coming. The church is about to be born. Amen.